and Rennie show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from the Winnipeg Free Press. And together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie season preview. Ran in the door right now. We were just down at the rink covering the Jets practice day today. Raced home from the Hockey for All Center uh, where they practice. Kenny is trying to get here as quick as he can. You know, Rennie's a little faster out of the gate. And Kenny is. That's why I start the shows, and that's why he, you know, takes some time to get there. But when he gets into the green room, we'll bring him in. But I just got to say, uh, it's great to be back. I, I want to say this is the inaugural show of the 2023-2024 season, but I guess maybe the honor for that goes to the Adam Lowry show. Uh, we love the numbers that we did there. Uh, was happy to see so many people show up for that. I got to give a shout out uh, to Hustler. And Remo, uh, for giving us a shout-out before the game here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I uh, went to one of their events in the summer. How much fun was that? Ran into a bunch of Kenny and Rennie, uh, people that we know from the chat room there, and hung out with them. Waiters and I even kept the peace long enough. Because if you know Waiters, and if you've seen him in, in the chat room here, Waiters is always after Rennie. Well, we kind of combined forces. It was like one of those uh, episodes where like the bad guy and the good guy get together and clearly Waiters is the bad guy in this uh, in this scenario here. It's like, you know, when the Smurfs and Gargamel had to work together to make it work, while Gargamel being w- Waiters uh, and, and me, the Smurf, Papa Smurf, I guess I'll be Papa Smurf, I'll take on that responsibility, worked together uh, on trivia night. It was a ton of fun. Uh, great to see everybody. I'd love to get out more uh, and see the folks. And one of the things I got to say is we're going to be back to having our events at TCB, TransCanada Brewing Company, a uh, number of those events throughout the year. So it'll be a chance for us to get together with everybody out there. We loved those events last year, had a blast, got to show off all the great beers and the great food that TransCanada Brewing Company had. So, you know, start getting in the mindset. If you want to come check those things out, we're going to get some dates and hammer them down right away when that will be. Also, looks like there's going to be a Kenny and Rennie year-ender party. I know it's the beginning of the year and we want to talk about uh, year-enders or maybe that feels a little bit early, but uh, that was so much fun. If you were there, we packed the house, 250 people. Uh, we put in Transcanner Brewing Company as they gave. It was a restaurant takeover. We said the private event room is not enough for Kenny and Reddy. We need the whole darn thing. We took it and uh, you guys absolutely rocked it. It was so much fun to see everybody. So we got that coming again. Uh, and got to say, we're just happy to see a lot of our sponsors coming back on board this year. Going to want to welcome some here as well. Happy to say that the keg is on board uh, coming on this year, as well as Pristine Roofing. They were our summertime friends, and we had such a good time with them that that continues on throughout the year. Uh, Great to see them. Cambrian is back as well. That's absolutely great stuff. Uh, Happy to have them back on board. Uh, And uh, gosh, it's just uh, the Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs. They're going to be here. Of course, they're going to be here. Uh, And just got to say it's been it's been uh happy to get the support from them we've got some stuff i don't know if we'll announce it this show maybe we will but there's lots of treats 
in watching Kenny and Rennie shows. And I'm not just talking about Rennie's takes. I'm talking about some really good treats that we're going to be handing out this season. Maybe we'll save that for the first of the year, but you are going to want to show up the first show, the first post game show. You're going to want to show up for it because it pays. It literally pays to watch Kenny and Rennie and you get some great hockey talk, some great chats and the group, everybody. It's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great. So uh, I don't want to w- make everyone wait any longer uh, because I've waited long enough to talk to this guy. The good thing, the real good thing about this show, the season preview, is that Kenny and I really haven't talked a whole bunch about this team and what is happening with this team. So Rennie's takes his bang on rock solid guaranteed takes are going to be coming in here and Ken's, which can be up. They can be down. They can be all over the place. Those takes are about to clash here right now because I'm guessing that we may not feel the same way about a number of different things, and I can't wait to get to it. I hope you can't wait to get to it either. And that means it's time to not wait anymore and bring in the man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Ken, how are you doing, my man? What's going on? Oh, good to see you. Yes, we haven't had as many uh, visits so far this year, so we're going to have to get that sorted out. Is my mic working? Yeah, it's working, right? Oh, yeah, it's working great. Yeah, you know what? If you show up before the show, we get to test those kind of things (laughs) so we don't have to do it on the fly like this. Well, you know, uh, it's a little bit, I guess we've just learned, what we learned today is it's a little bit shorter drive for you to home from the... uh, Hockey for all center than it is for me because we left at the exact same time. So uh, I apologize for that. But uh, no worries. No it's interesting worries. to get through training camp, Sean. That's great to see you. Uh, we're fired up about the uh, the goodness that we're going to see here uh, throughout the course of the season. We've got six games to break down, but as we know, the preseason is sort of you know I don't put a whole lot of stock into it. I know some folks are a little bit up in arms. Uh, two, three, and one record. The record I'm here to tell you means absolutely nothing. I, I can understand if people have some concerns about uh, where things stand. I mean, this team has not yet iced its best lineup. <laughs> they have not yet had their whole team together. So would that be a concern? Well, it's certainly possible, but um, uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we've got lots to sort out here. Um, and we're excited to be doing it. We know we're going to have uh, we're going to be back with regular post game shows beginning Wednesday. But it's fun to have this chance to break some things down. Uh, some folks saying your mic is not Sean. Do you got it? Is, do you, I don't, My I don't, mic? I don't. Yeah. Is it uh, okay? Well, let's. Uh, I'll, sure. I'll work on that. But in the meantime, I think that we should kind of get it before we get started. Ken, I want to know. Sorry, one quick second. Which summer was? Which five? Oh yeah, my summer was fantastic, buddy. It was uh, absolutely excellent. Um, as you know, I was 
this lots of golf. We played lots of golf, and uh, yeah, Kenny and Rennie both got sorted out after a visit from Marshall Patterson, which was nice of him to to help uh, help our game, our respective games for sure. So we we should we should give the background to this. So Kenny just keeps getting better and better and better. I have to say, at the beginning of the golf season this year, I actually tied Ken in score, it's true, uh, and then it's there, true. there was it's, there was a game that accurate. we played accurate. we played afterwards. Um, and I was chasing you, trying to catch up with you, and I parred the last five holes true. of 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 the uh, of the course. We were out at Oakwood, um, and I was trying to chase you and drag you down. Uh, and you were three strokes ahead of me. But Ken also parred the last five holes, so we both finished <laughs> on a torrid streak, and it was great. But I was starting to think this was going to be a great golf season. My low score was eighty eight, which is the best score that I've done. <laughs> By the end of the year, I was shooting 113. Like the wheels just fall off. And so I literally, I literally quit golf. I quit golfing because the frustration was just like, I can't spend this much time being so bad at something. So I I, I quit. And Marshall Patterson, who is a, a you'll see him on the show, uh, bumped into him at the live event, the live WST event trivia night. And he said, come on out, see Ken and I at the driving range. And he's at least given me some hope, Ken. I'm working through it. I've been hitting the driving range. I at least didn't, you know, throw the clubs up in the ceiling rafters where I had put them and retired from the game. I at least got them down, dusted them off. So I'm trying again. That's that's uh, uh, at least progress going forward so we got to give thanks to marshall who out of the kindness of his heart uh turned around rennie's attitude and his summer by doing that and i know that he just allowed you to keep getting better and better better throughout the year yeah i wouldn't let you quit and i'm glad marshall was there to to help iron a few things out but uh yeah lots of golf lots of uh lots of travel lots of enjoyment and uh was just down in minneapolis to watch the blue jays uh (laughs) get swept by the minnesota twins but Absolutely awesome atmosphere down there, Sean. I mean, it was really, really, really fun and uh, really enjoyed things. And uh, it was just so awesome. Like, the Twins had lost 18 consecutive playoff games. And the atmosphere from before the opening pitch to the final out uh, was just absolutely tremendous. Uh, absolute whirlwind for 36 hours uh, up in the morning at uh, you know 6 o'clock to be on the road by 6.45, home at 3 in the morning uh, Tuesday night. So... Uh, absolutely awesome. So it was a great summer all around. Spent lots of time at Clear Lake and yeah, really, uh, really had a great time. And yeah, before we dig into the hockey, you know, yesterday I had a, an important day yesterday too, uh, out in Brandon for the uh, celebration of life for Lois Fowler, who, uh, mm-hmm. as most people in this province and great country know, is uh, one of the best human beings uh, you could ever meet. I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time uh, with the Fowler family uh, in Clear Lake, these last uh, you know for a good chunk of this decade, and uh, I just want the uh, Fowlers and the Richies to know we're thinking of them here uh, during this challenging time. Uh, Lois was an incredible lady, and she uh, battled cancer for a long time. So, anyways, yeah. just wanted to get a quick shout out there before we dig in because uh, I know a lot of people in the chat would know would know Lois as well. No doubt. And I have to say this as, as a, a father of two daughters who have really dove into the curling scene here uh, in Manitoba. Uh, one of the things that I've been blown away with uh, is just how uh, like Jill Officer's daughter plays around them. And Jill has been such a good uh, uh, resource for them. They played with Jill Officer's daughter and went to the final of a, a, of a bond spiel last year. And it was just such an amazing moment because Jill was there, their coach. 
And then Caitlin Laws showed up to watch them play. So you've got an Olympic gold medal winning coach in, in, in watching them play is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And then taking pictures on the ice for, for curling Manitoba uh, was was Connie Laliberti, uh, you know, the, who was like the yep. queen when I was growing up. And you just take a look around at, at what a great community that is and how all the ladies and the gentlemen uh, who are, you know, represent Curling Manitoba do such a good job with our kids. And, and Mrs. Fowler was obviously one of those as well. Uh, so tough to see her go. Um, it is uh, the, the curling community in Manitoba is lights out to the point that I would love to start a curling podcast with you, Ken, uh, but we're, we have our hands full with hockey. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for doing that. Uh, let's get down to it. Now, this is very interesting. I find Ken, I was taking a look at this and thought we get to announce the the say something <laughs> nice about Billy Hanela segment yeah. of the show was going to be around far more often. It was going to be far more robust because heading into yesterday's preseason game, there was so much nice to say about Billy Hanela's game. And I think you feel the same way that I felt. I think the vast majority of people saw what we saw. I think Rick Bonus was seeing the same thing that Billy Hanela had the moment had finally come where Billy Hanela had undoubtedly played his way onto the Winnipeg Jets big club roster. You could put all the other stuff behind it. Looked like we were heading there and then disaster hits. I don't know about you, Ken, but for me, Billy Hanela was, and I don't know if maybe this says something about the camp itself, but I thought for me, Billy Hanela was the biggest story of the Winnipeg Jets camp. And to see it cut short with the news uh, today that he broke his ankle and is out six to 12 weeks, will be going home to rehabilitate that injury, going home uh, to Finland to do so. That is really rough news for Winnipeg Jets fans, for the Winnipeg Jets, but First and foremost for Billy Hanela, whose moment had finally arrived and it gets taken away from him and us and everybody invested in the Winnipeg Jets at the very last minute in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, absolutely terrible misfortune for Billy Hanela. As you mentioned, uh, I think he's been one of the best Jets players in camp. Uh, and given all of the things that we've been discussing for the last few years, he did everything that he needed to do to prepare for training camp. He got leaner. He got stronger. Uh, I thought he was playing an assertive defensive game. Obviously, there's still work to be done, but you can say that about every single player. But this is a guy that needs reps uh, against NHL competition. He played very well against NHL competition, even though we know that competition level varies throughout the course of training camp and the preseason. But he was really starting to play with a ton of confidence. Um, there were two nights where he played over 25 minutes. I mean, those circumstances, you know, once there was an injury and another time Logan Stanley was in the box for almost an entire period. Um, so he took full advantage of every opportunity. And it's interesting. I mean, going into training camp, I mean, and also based on what, how Rick bonus was distributing the power play minutes, uh, where Declan Chisholm was the guy running the first pairing. Uh, obviously Chisholm was hurt at later on the latter stages of camp, but Hanla outplayed Chisholm to this point of camp. So yeah, he was going to make a difficult decision, even more difficult for the coaching staff and the management team. And suddenly he's going to find himself on IR and out for probably a minimum of eight weeks. And it could be up to 12. And it's very demoralizing for Villy because 
as a guy who's you know kind of been waiting sometimes patiently probably sometimes impatiently uh, all the work that he did in training camp it's not all lost Sean because he at least had a wide window to show the improvements he's been making but in terms of his body the rehab process is going to be the next challenge for Vili Hanala. Now he's going to have to knock somebody out of the spot. Whereas before I think, honestly, I quite think, I think that he had earned a spot in the top six for opening night. Now I'm not sure if Rick bonus felt that way, but it sure looked like he was going to play opening night. Uh, and now he's going to have to reset the clock, get surgery, go back, spend some time around his family. And then the real work gets going, Sean, where, now he's going to have to knock out, you know, somebody who is between six to eight in terms of, uh, you know, kind of he's he went from being the pace car to being in a chase position when it comes to his standing on the blue line. And, you know, that it's injuries are part of hockey, but you can't really prepare for a moment like this. And of course, you're going to feel badly for a, a short amount of time, but you can't feel badly or sorry for yourself for very long because the next thing you know, you know, someone else is going to try to pass you. I mean, Rick bonus, you were in the conversation with him today, Sean Parker Ford was scheduled to play in zero preseason games and was the story of camp up front. And now finds himself at or near the front of the recall line. So uh, things change pretty quickly. And now it's up to Hanala to, you know, dig in on the re. Not today, because he's going to have to get some things taken care of first. But, uh, you know, tough news for him for sure. Today, for the folks who didn't see the tweets, uh, Nate Schmidt slid back into the, th- you know, third pair. Let's go, quote unquote, third pairing with Brendan Dillon. Uh, I would imagine those guys start the season together. Sean, you know my feelings. I really like those two on as a pairing. Uh, I think they can bring out the best in each other. And,. That also means there's a big opportunity for Dylan Sandberg on that second pairing with Neil Pionk. So, anyways, we'll dig more into the D in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't quite ready to say it was going to be a nightly uh, part of the show with the Vili, say something nice about Villy, but he had given people a lot of opportunities to say a lot of positive things about his play during the preseason. And, yeah, that's just sort of a devastating uh, way for his preseason to end. Uh, you know, got kind of ta- tangled up with Eric Brandstrom, um, and it looked like his ankle kind of crumpled underneath him. And I mean, honestly, as bad as this is, Sean, if it were something like an Achilles injury where he was done for the season, uh, that would have been even more demoralizing. Oh God, yeah. But yeah, uh, this is still bad for sure. But you know, hopefully for him, he has an opportunity to get this sorted out, get through the re the rehab process and get himself back. You know, obviously he's going to need time with the moose um, based on coming out of this scenario. But I mean, Sean, what what do you think it means for seven, eight and nine? Because I'm not sure there's clarity there because of all the time that Chisholm missed with injury and Kappa Bianco went from kind of being in a driver's seat position to not being able to play. And now you're in a yellow Jersey, but uh, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. It certainly sounded like I didn't hear Rick Bonus say he was going to be a, a an opportunity to be on IR. I mean, it sounds like they're gonna they're going to have to either trade or waive one of those defensemen before before sun or before the roster deadline. Or did you interpret it a different way? No, that that's how I would take it. There, it it, it really is an interesting 
camp because camp is supposed to be about answering questions, right? Yep. These are the things we're going to do and let's start answering some questions. And I really do feel like the Jets, and this is going to be a recurring theme throughout this show today, is the questions that we thought would be answered by this point that did not get answered for a number of reasons. Injuries being the biggest part of it, sickness being a big part of it. But I mean, I think that by the end, and, and you could hear it in the comments by Brendan Dillon and by their head coach yesterday after the game, that there was just a whole bunch of unanswered questions by the end of, of the preseason games. And the funny part about it is usually players are like by the final preseason games, they're like, can we just get this done with and get to the real deal? And the Winnipeg Jets are left in a situation where they're basically kind of admitting they could use some more preseason games to try and sort this out, which is something that no pro player ever asks for, but you get the sense that the Jets are feeling that way. But but it's so hard to answer a lot of these questions. I, I think if we're taking a look at, you know, like seven and eight, I would put in a situation here where I do think from what happened with Chisholm, from, from, from the, you know, uh, where he's placed himself, the fact that he's not waiver exempt anymore, that he'd have to go through waivers. I feel like at this stage, you know, Capo Bianco is the guy who is is number nine on that list, right? Like I'm thinking that Logan Stanley and Chisholm are probably ahead of him now on that depth chart that uh, Billy Hanlow was clearly ahead of him. The, the, the problem with it, or the, not the problem, I don't, I, it's a good problem to have, but they were, they were going to have to find a way to get Billy Hanlow into a consistent rotation as a top six defenseman on that team. And they were going to have to decide which of the established guys was going to bump down. And then I think it, this is just my take on the whole thing. Chisholm was going to be the next guy after the established guy who was going to spend a year kind of hang, hanging around, not playing as much, getting into the lineup when there were injuries. And then a decision was going to have to be made on Logan Stanley. If you were going to move him down and try and see if you couldn't clear waivers with him, that to me is where everything ranks, but it, it, it wasn't made easy and obvious. I think in my ideas, that's where I land on that. But I wasn't locked in as saying like, like last year, you know, I, I had thought Sandberg for sure had played himself into a situation where he was going to be starting on this team. And it wasn't as cut and dry as I thought it would be last year. I thought Sandberg was definitely in the top six. I thought Hanlo was ahead of him, but I thought Hanlo would be sent down because uh, he didn't need to clear waivers. And that's what kept Stanley there. I was right. What I wasn't right about was there was still a bit of a platooning and Sandberg in and then him out and Stanley going in and him going out. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting what we saw towards the end of the year where Sandberg was just maybe more of the sixth defenseman locked into that spot. I will say this, a couple things that I should say about Billy before we move on from him. Sandberg, if you remember that one year, came to camp and got that injury, uh, the high ankle sprain that kept him out for a really long time. But I think the Jets, through what they'd seen of him, had seen enough that there was an expectation he was going to be in a position to compete or be in the lineup when he got back. Billy Hanela has achieved that and a step ahead of what Sandberg did. Like, I think he's locked himself in the mindset that even though he hasn't had a position to make the team out of camp and stay for a while, I think he did enough that when he comes back, the Winnipeg Jets have the mindset of not, okay, does he stick around for a bit? The mindset now becomes, okay, where do we, 
where do we jog and move things around so that he's one of the top six guys? Cause we feel that he's shown enough and his career arc has gone to a place where that's what we look at now is Villa is one of the top six. And I think that they will reprise that way of thinking when he gets back. The last thing I want to say on Villy is him going home to Finland to rehabilitate this, I think is a brilliant move by the Winnipeg Jets because what we've seen from Billy so far, he accomplished at home this summer, right? He went home, he did his things to get better, and he did it in that environment. I think it's okay to put him back in that environment. The other part about it is, for the most part, you don't have injured players around the team. And Billy's in a little bit of no man's land. He hasn't spent enough time with the Jets to be an established guy. But I don't think you want him necessarily hanging around the, the moose, which he wouldn't be anyways. But he's kind of in that in-between thing while he's in Winnipeg. And I don't think that's necessarily the best place for him to be is hanging around alone in Winnipeg, not quite a Winnipeg jet, but not quite a Manitoba moose living in this kind of in between world and rehabilitating. I think the best thing to do is get him back to where he's very comfortable. He's surrounded by friends and family that he's comfortable with in the summer, kind of reprise that role there as he gets into the situation. Smart move by the Winnipeg jets to allow him to do that. And I think it just puts him in a situation where all those people out there who can't wait to see what Billy Hanla can do, well, guess what? He's going to go and basically take the successes that he had in the summer and apply them to his rehabilitation and come back and probably hit the ground running when he does get back here. It's a good situation. Well done by the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, bang on. Uh, just such. You talked about it. You're on an island, and the last place that a guy who thought he made the team wants to be is on an island, feeling yeah. lonely and having an opportunity for some of those woe is me moments to sort of creep in on you, which which can impact your development and uh, you know especially your mentality and um, you know quite frankly your well being. So I agree with you totally. I think it's important for him to be back at home. Uh, and be around family, and then he'll get uh, right back up to speed. Uh, and I'm going to go back to what your comments were about the, you know, I agree. I think Chisholm, I don't think the Jets want to put Chisholm on waivers. No. I think that they see him being a, a guy who's going to, you know, be in the mix sooner than later. <laughs> and let's not forget, I mean, we've been talking about Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck uh, for the last, you know, for the better part of the off season. Uh, but Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon are on expiring contracts. So, uh, the Jets are going to need Hanala and Chisholm to be in their regular rotation uh, sooner than later. So I think it's important for Chisholm to be around. And and it's interesting, Sean. What I would say about Kyle Capabianco is this. Although I agree with you, I think he's most likely to be put on waivers. I also think he is the best candidate to be the eighth defenseman because mm. he's shown that he can go long stretches without being you know, losing any, he doesn't miss a beat when you put him back in the lineup. So it's interesting. He mean, he is probably the most likely to be gone, but you know, Logan Stanley's missed a lot of time in between games, but it's been because of injury. Can he be sitting around for a month at a time and then jump in the lineup and play at a, at a high level? I mean that we don't have any real history of that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, we also know that every team is is looking at the periphery of their roster and thinking, oh, maybe there's an upgrade here, maybe there's an upgrade there. But I don't think the Jets are ready to waive Logan Stanley, but I do think if somebody called and made him a 
you know, sig- what what uh, an offer. I think Logan Stanley is a guy that could play on uh, one of those teams near the bottom of the standings. But sure, but who's going to do that? It's not going to be a you... big offer. That's what I mean. It's not going to be a substantial offer. So I don't know. They're in. A, they're in a, still. We talked about this a long time, and we thought it would be sort. The logjam would have been sorted out a long time ago. This is why you keep your depth because one of those young players is going to miss, you know, upwards of three months. But at the same time, they still have to decide who's going to be the number eight defenseman. No doubt. And then seven and eight will be battling for whatever else. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting situation. But, you know, we're in agreement here. I think that uh, Kyle Capabianco is most likely to be waived. But I also think he's probably the best candidate to be a number eight guy. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to handle this the rest, uh, rest of the show. I did, talked about the theme of questions. Actually, before sure. I get to that, I should just notice. I, I know why it slipped the top of my mind. It's because I'm not looking at myself and seeing <laughs> yeah. the way that I'm dressed. I forgot to mention, we met with Frankie uh, and went out for, for dinner, had a great dinner with Frankie, uh, who uh, had, uh, uh, you know, uh, not his best summer, but he's rebounded. He's come back absolutely firing on all cylinders to the point that you and him were talking about uh, great wine stuff, and I was sitting yeah. back uh, throwing out terrible suggestions <laughs> as you both shook your head at, uh, at what I have in my wine cellar. I guess I'm not at that level yet, but uh, great to have Frankie back on board. Uh, it was, and it was just great to spend some time with him too. So having them back on board, and there's a couple more announcements Sorry. that Frankie, were just Frankie and the out. boys at Vittorio Rossi. Frankie and the boys at Vittorio Rossi, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple more annou- announcements in the hopper about to pop out there. We'll have that all sorted out by our first show, which will be coming up next Wednesday. But I want to get back to this, and I want to talk about the question mark. So this is what I, I was thinking. I think this has been a really tough camp for the Winnipeg Jets. And I think it makes the whole idea of will they or won't they make the playoffs, which is the question we'll probably end on, a little bit trickier to get a gauge on because there's certain things that I would have liked to have seen before the end of training camp and questions that were like, okay, we can put that question aside. I almost feel like all the major questions that they had uh, surrounding them went unanswered uh, for the most part. So I'm going to, preface this and say we're going to work our way through the major points of camp as though they were questions to be answered yep. whether or not you thought they'd been answered enough so i'm going to start right off the top with the top line mark shifley as of right now and the one thing that i caution when it comes to lines is we could like spend all the time saying well it's not going to work this year because i don't think that line's going to work and i don't think that line's going to work and with a couple switches here or there, the lines are totally different and it's all a moot point anyways, but we're going to take it as it goes with camp. What you're looking for as a coach is a game plan that's going to work. So if this line one works perfectly, we don't have to change them. We carry them through the year. Same thing with line two, same thing with line three up and down the lineup, but Gabe Velarde on that top line with Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. Mark Shifley is going to be without uh, Blake Wheeler for the first time in his career. We saw him make it plainly, evidently clear that he's going to miss him and does miss him uh, in his comments at the beginning of the year. What have you seen from that line uh, and Gabe Velarde filling in and the potential for that line to be a dominant first line in the NHL? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for Gabe Velarde. I think we've seen some of his defensive awareness on display. Uh, you know, we've seen his shot in practice maybe a little bit more than in the games. I think they're still sort of getting their, working their chemistry out in terms of 
you know, being able to enhance the strengths of the other players on the line. Uh, I think Kyle Connor, uh, we know he switched sticks. Uh, he's using CCM now. So I think that he's getting ready for, and I wouldn't even call it a bounce back season. I mean, the guy still had 31 goals and 80 points. So, but he also had 47 the year before. So we can't pretend that his production in the goal scoring department didn't drop because it did. Uh, I think Gabe Velarde uh, is a pretty heads up player. Uh, his passing ability will should allow Kyle Connor. Uh, I think he'll be more in the you know 36 to 42 range, um, you know, and he could be higher than that if if you know things start to go well out of the gate for him. I think we'll see a little bit more, um, you know, back to the mean a little bit where Shifley's goals are probably down a bit and Connor's are probably up, uh, but I think they'll both be point per game players. Uh, in terms of Velarde, I don't know what the ceiling is for him, Sean. To be quite frank. Um, this is a guy who had 23 goals last year and more of a complimentary role. Uh, I think he is going to be a north of 30 goal scorer eventually. Is it going to be right away? Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I do think he he will be able to replace the goal scoring production that Pierre-Luc Dubois had, which was 28 last year. And uh, folks know that I have a very high opinion of how Pierre-Luc Dubois plays. So, uh, I think Velarde's fit in well there. That's a long-winded way of saying he's fit in well there. Uh, I think still, you know, we're going to get to it in a moment. Velarde's the kind of guy that can go into the second-line center role, but I don't think that Cole Perfetti um, is going to have a short leash. So I think that um, Velarde is a guy who's going to spend uh, the bulk of his time beside Mark Shifley. If they have to switch the left-wingers around, we'll see. Uh, but I think the line has looked good. But at the same time, Sean, I don't think we've, we, you know, last year out of, coming out of Banff, we were talking about Ehlers, Shifley, and Connor having the potential to be, you know, one of the best and most productive lines in hockey. Um, I don't think we're quite ready to make that declaration yet. I expect them to be a very good number one line, uh, but I don't think that the ceiling is maybe as high as the year before when we were trying to you know, trying to wonder if they'd be potentially as good as Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau were the year prior. But uh, I see potential with that line, but uh, I wouldn't say that they're clicking on all cylinders, but you wouldn't expect them to after, you know, a training camp where uh, the flu ripped through the team and Mark Shifley was just recently uh, dealing with the flu bug. But there's room to grow, but I think there's potential with that line. What about you? Well, so to me, there's a lot of questions on this line, and I, I don't think that they were answered in the preseason. Like, I do know that uh, a lot of the talk heading into, um, like, you want to talk about a goal entirely changing the perception uh, of something or, or setting the standard for a perception. That goal that they get against the Edmonton Oilers, which is a power play goal, uh, where, uh, where, Velarde gets the puck in front of the net, no look backhand pass across the crease over to Kyle Connor on the wing. He puts it in the back of the net. I do feel that there was a real kind of thought process in the city after that with everybody, within the media, yeah. within the fans, everybody that I've heard the term that, oh man, are those guys snapping it around? And I hear this over and over again about how much that line clicked. I met with I met with North End Rick for coffee earlier on today, and I had this conversation. I said, "and and this is going to be a theme, Ken, because you and I have already had an argument <laughs> that we'll get to in the show." I wasn't seeing that. Like everyone who was saying, "Man, these guys are just magic together," and they're just 
in that moment, that was great, right? But th- you're talking about a power play goal against a team that was essentially not an NHL team, right? Like that was not the Edmonton Oilers. That was, you know, the Bakersfield Condors. Or uh, it, it was, it was pretty. I'll give it that. But for the rest of that game, and then for the last game that we saw, and and this is why there's question marks. I'm not. But when I say these things, I'm not saying this line doesn't work, and they didn't do this, they didn't do that. There was sickness involved with this. This really was the runway was cut in half for the Winnipeg Jets, and for this line to show what they were capable of. But I didn't see what people are saying where this is an automatic. These guys work. They're snapping it around. They all work together. I didn't see an obvious answer to that. I didn't see enough from training camp to say this line undoubtedly works. I didn't see that situation. So I come to the questions on this line. Now, the questions that I walk away with on this line are Kyle Connor to get him back to what he's capable of doing. You did really great work on this in training camp. Ken and had a good conversation uh, in one of the scrums with Kyle Connor about, you know, last year, his numbers may have looked a certain way, but boy, he got a lot of chances. Boy, he hit a lot of posts. Boy, the puck bounced on him with empty nets quite often. Last year probably isn't as bad as it looks, but for him to get back to that, I take a look at what has worked with him over the years to get him to score like that. One is his relationship with Mark Shifley. One was his relationship with Blake Wheeler, who's not there anymore. And one is his relationship and how he played off Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is not there anymore. So there's a question mark here on the possibility of him being able to do what he does because it is highly dependent on how he fits with Gabe Velarde. Is he going to be able to play off Gabe Velarde? Is it going to work enough? Are they going to be able to find each other enough? I take a look at this and I think one of the things that he had with Blake Wheeler was Kyle Connors, the kind of player who gets lost in the weeds, gets open in a spot and puts the puck in the back of the net when the pass comes over and no one's expecting it to go there. Blake Wheeler was a genius at doing that with both Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. Mark Scheifele said it. Blake Wheeler was the best passer he's ever played with, and those guys benefited for a lot of years from that. Now, we saw signs of that because that Ayafalo pass over to Kyle Connor is the exact kind of goal I'm talking about, the exact kind of offense. So can Alex Ayafalo do that consistently? I don't think he'll Velarde, do it as Velarde, consistently. Velarde. Sorry, Velarde. I don't think he'll do it as consistently as Blake Wheeler did. Uh, but I think there will be a little bit of that. So can can he do it enough that the numbers for Kyle Connor can get up there? The other part about that is I it's not IFL Velarde has a little bit of the PLD thing, and we talked about it on our show last year. PLD went so hard to the net and created so much chaos. There was a giant wake behind him that Kyle Connor really learned how to play off and get closer to the front of the net and create opportunities for himself. So. Maybe if Kyle Connor is able to play off the hybrid that Velarde is, a little bit of Blake Wheeler, although let's talk, let's be honest, Blake Wheeler, one of the best passers of a generation. We can't say that Velarde is there. PLD, one of the hardest players going to the net and driving and causing chaos. I, uh, Velarde has a little bit of that, but not quite there as well. But is there a hybrid version of that that Kyle Connor can learn to play off of and capitalize off? That's the questions I'll be looking to see. I think in the best case scenario, he does, but it's still a question mark of whether he gets there. Go to Mark Shifley now and talk about a guy who said, you know, Blake Wheeler, the best pa- passer that he ever played with. 
Here's something I find kind of interesting. I don't know if you saw this, Ken, but there's been moments throughout this training camp and throughout some of the games that Mark Scheifele will get lost in the weeds and that little bit of the, you know what I call it, the snake charmer offense that they like to play with. I've seen moments, I don't know if you have, where he's got into a spot and Gabe Velarde has the puck and you can see he's thinking, I'm right here. This is where the puck comes to me and I, boom, I put it in the back of the net. And Gabe Velarde doesn't see him. And what Mark Shifley is doing is he's playing a game that Blake Wheeler would have seen him and Blake Wheeler would have had the puck there. This is, I think, a very important thing that Mark Shifley is going to have to come to terms with as he plays this. He has to be able to say, okay, usually right now I'd get the puck and maybe it would be back in the net if I was playing with Blake Wheeler. Is he going to kind of root into that and be like, well, Blake would have got me the puck in that situation, kind of let it spoil the flow of how he plays? Or is he going to recognize that Gabe Velarde is a different kind of player and find that way to get the chemistry that isn't there? Another way of saying it is, is there going to be a Blake Wheeler hangover for these players who know how to play off of Blake Wheeler and to pounce on his passing? Or are they going to be able to just say, Blake's not here anymore, move on, find out and figure out what works best with Gabe Velarde? If they do that, I think it's going to give them a chance. But I just wonder how hard it is going to be. We saw, Ken, last year, how hard it was for some players on this team to move on from Blake Wheeler's captaincy. A lot of them, by the end, we found out that they did not. They still looked at him in that regard. Now I wonder the players who played off of Blake Wheeler and his type and style of game over the years, are they going to be able to let that go as well? Because if they don't, it's not going to play out as well, and it's going to hold up the potential that Gabe Velarde has for them on that line. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the Wheeler effect will be in the hangover variety for those guys. I mean... We saw Kyle Connor move to a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and his game didn't really dip, right? So uh, the biggest difference with Kyle last year was even strength goals. I mean, the last, I was looking this up just now here, the last two years, only eight power play goals. So that's incredible that his year that he had 47, Sean, 36 even strength goals for Kyle Connor, including nine game winners. Last year at even strength, he was down to 23 goals. That So that's the biggest part of the disparity is there. Um, I think Velarde is a guy who hangs on to the puck nicely. So I think he's kind of similar to Mark, Mark Scheifele and how he likes to play. I mean, the other big difference with Kyle last year was shooting percentage. His career shooting percentage is somewhere in the neighborhood of just under 15%. And last year it was 11.4. His shot volume was also down year before 317 shots, 273 last season. So but, you know, part of that will be getting to know your line mates. So it's enough, you know, they've got a lot on their plate. But, Sean, we know this team is going to be relying on them to score. Even though we've got more depth up front, they've got more depth up front. They're going to need a lot from that top line to be there where they want to be. But I think there's still enough potential to keep that line together and then see if you need to move, shuffle some things around. Uh, I also like it because of what it means for the second line. Um, okay, let's move on from that. I was going to, maybe we'll do it right now because you brought up the depth and the more depth. I want to challenge this. I want to challenge this. Okay. Perfect. It's become, it's become just a common conversation now, just a fact that has been assumed that the Winnipeg Jets are a deeper team. Now, 
I understand why this is, and I get it. And I will be guilty because I was the guy who, over the summer and after the PLD trade who talked about the Jets heading in a different direction, a new philosophy, and the idea that the Jets were trying to become a deeper and harder team to play against. Uh, and, and that trade was proof of it. Well, I feel like that trade happened and there was a plan, right? Mark Shifley was going to get moved. Connor Hellebuck was going to get moved. And I thought that they were maybe going to go for depth moves because they were trying to retool. And then the plan kind of, you know, hit a roadblock and hasn't really moved since. So I, I guess I would say it like this outside of Billy Hanlon moving up and moving out an established defenseman, which I think we, we were expecting to see that happen before the injury. I take a look up front and I look at it like this. Blake Wheeler's gone and Pierre-Luc Dubois is gone. And in coming into the lineup is Alex Iafallo, Gabe Velarde to replace those, those two players, and then we've got Kupari on the fourth line. So basically, I take a look at it like this. You've got Gabe Velarde in, Pierre-Luc Dubois out. You've got Alex Iafallo in, Blake Wheeler out. And then I take a look at it like this. You've got Kupari in, and you've got either Axel Janssen Fialbi earlier in the year out, or you've got Carson Kuhlman out. Now, I'm wondering if switching out Velarde for PLD, Iafalo for Wheeler, and then taking uh, Kuhlman out and putting Kupari in, does that really speak to a massive obvious upgrade in depth that we are talking about this team being i'm going to challenge and say that the plan was to make this team a lot deeper i don't know how much deeper they are ken yeah i mean so let's we'll just go to the raw numbers initially here so wheeler 16 goals 55 points pierre luc dubois 27 goals 63 points so we know that like the raw 118 will- points yeah, 118. So yeah. we know that the total is not quite that high with Velarde and Ayafalo, but their goals totals and, are, are going and to And Kapari. All three of them don't add up to what those two players take out of the lineup. Well, oh, I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, they're, I understand where you're coming from, but I would say that the fourth line as it's currently constructed, with knowing, if, if Vladislav Nemeskov stays on the fourth line, um, Nemeskov and Kapari, and if it's Morgan Barron on the fourth line, I would say it's significantly better than what the fourth line was, whether it was Saku Menelainen or Carson Kuhlman or anybody else that the Jets rolled through that line uh, during the course of last year and Janssen Falby and some of those other guys. So that's where I would counter that the depth still is better. Um, The high end it's. I think it's better. I guess I'm just saying I don't look at this and say, wow, the Jets got. And I think that's been the conversation is that the Jets got way deeper. And I don't know that I agree that they're way deep. They're deeper. I'm not going to argue that. Are they way deeper to the point that their depth is now this obvious strength? I don't know that that's the case. Sure. But you're also not taking under consideration. People are assuming, and I am one of them, in order for this actually to be accurate, the Jets need Nikolai Ehlers for more than 45 games and Cole Perfetti for more than 50 games. And if those two players are available, then already they're much deeper than they were last year. With injuries to those two players, if that's the case, then sure, we can make the argument that they're not as deep. But I would also argue that David Gustafson is in a much better headspace. He's talked about it this week. Um, I think he's playing at a better level. He worked on his 
you know, skating and all those other things. So the guys at like 13, 14, 15, I would argue are, are able to come in and maybe make a little bit more of an impact uh, than the guys lower in the lineup. And, and the other part too, Sean, they're deeper in terms of maybe being a little bit, you know, we know Pierre-Luc Dubois made some strides on the defensive end. Rick Bonus talked about it a lot last year. Uh, and Blake Wheeler plays hard, but none of the players the Jets brought in are 36-year-old players. So you're probably thinking you're getting a little bit more uh, in certain areas of the game. I mean, Blake was a very highly productive player at that level last year. Um, so, I mean, it's not an it's not an assumption that it has to be accurate, but I would just say that I think the players that have been brought in, when you also factor in Nino Niederreiter will be here for the season rather than just for 20 games, that's where the depth comes from. It's not you know, necessarily you know, what they were like at the end of last year. It's it's what they were like compared to the start of last year where I think people feel that it's an obviously deeper team up front. Now, having said that... I'll agree with that. So that's what that would be my counter-argument. Now, if any of those top six players miss significant time, and if multiple players miss significant time like they did last year, then, Sean, you are bang on. What you didn't say, but what you meant, is that the Jets won't score as much if they have significant injuries in the top two lines because a lot of the players who have been added are would be more in the complementary scoring roles. I mean, Velarde has to be a primary scorer eventually. But, I mean, there's no guarantee Kapari is going to be a double-digit guy. I think he could grow into one, but he hasn't been yet. So it's the onus is on him to grow into that kind of player. Now, Ayafalo is interesting, Sean, because A, he can be a kind of guy that cleans up some of the defensive things if he's playing on the second line, but I think he can also give the third line a little bit more offensive zip. Iafalo is a kind of guy you can almost mark him down guaranteed for 14 to 17, but I think this could be a 20 goal scorer uh, depending on what, what role he is asked to play. And that's going to be good news for Adam Lowry uh, because I don't think that Adam Lowry is going to have to drag a, a drag around a Christian Veselainen this season. So I expect that if Iofalo is on the third line, that third line is going to be more productive than it has been the last couple of seasons. So that, I think, is where the other part of the depth, the third line should score more and the fourth line should score more. Now, it's up to the top six to show that there's not a significant drop-off considering the offense that went out the door with Dubois and Wheeler. No doubt. That's a tricky balance to make on the subject of that. Uh, I, I was, I, I know that we talked about, uh, you know, the first line, second line, all that kind of stuff. It's likely to change. I have been thinking kind of deeply on this and that third line based on what Lowry did last year, because that third line showed last year, they were capable of driving the bus on this team. Now, do we expect that to happen from game one through game 82? I don't think so. And I don't think it would be fair to expect that as good as they were down the stretch there. It seemed like that team just like got superhuman at one point. But if you wanted that third line to carry, I think that the best possible version of that third line, I I don't know why this got into my head, but the best possible version of that third line and maximizing Adam Lowry. I think you take a look at Adam Lowry. He was great down the stretch, but his numbers over the years tell us what we can typically expect from Adam Lowry, right? So I think that if you want to really maximize that line, you kind of got to get scorers that drag him along and drag his numbers up. I don't think Mason Appleton's that guy. 
And I had this conversation with Kel Kelly Moore uh, from CJOB. He disagrees with me on this. Uh, Christian O'Mel from CJOB, him and I had this conversation at the game last night. I think he's a little more on my side when it comes to this. But I think if there was some way that you could get to a place where Alex Ayafalo was on that line with Lowry and Nino Niederreiter, now I think you're talking about the kind of third line that changes the complexity of an entire season, right? Because Nino Niederreiter is great defensively. Alex Ayafalo is great defensively. Lowry is a bear defensively so you would have a t a, a line that would be so hard to play against but Niederreiter can get up ice and score I have follow we've seen Ken has has and I know there's some people have said to me oh I haven't seen a lot from Alex Iafalo don't worry about Alex Iafalo we know what he's capable of he's going to be a great player for the Winnipeg Jets if you got that line together not only could they score significantly and I think you could take Adam Lowry's numbers and really spike them but then you've got that line that you kind of feel comfortable putting against anyone, a first line, a second line, a third line, a fourth line, and a line that you're not just playing stalemate because I think that's what happens a lot of times when you've got Appleton and Lowry who don't who score at the rate that they do. I think for the most part, you're putting that line out and you're saying they're going to be heavy, they're going to wear guys down. But for the most part, if this is a chess match, those guys are going out and just trying to play to a stalemate. They're not usually going to win the scoring advantage and give you that extra goal that gets you over the hump in the game. I think I have follow Niederreiter and Lowry would do that. Right. So uh, to me, I take a look at that and I, I can't get it out of my head what I want that third line to be, but that probably means that Nemesnikov has to get up the lineup at some point, because I know what you're saying about that fourth line. I don't expect to see Nemestikov play the majority of the season on the fourth line. I don't think it's where he should be playing. And I think the biggest question on this team right now is on the second line. And based on what we saw from Nemestikov coming in and taking that center position on the second line, we may see a lot of that this year. But let's get to it. And that question, which I think is the biggest question on this team heading into the season, is the capability of Cole Perfetti handling those second line duties. Now I would say this in the conversation that we had about the depth. I like what you said. I like about saying that the jets are deeper to start this year. Let's not necessarily compare it to the end of last year. Cause you can get deeper as the season goes on if you want to. So are the jets deeper at the top end of this season than they were last year? I agree with that, but center depth is a very different thing. And I think it's very hard to say the jets are deeper down the middle with Cole Perfetti going into that spot. I've said it like this. Cole Perfetti goes onto that line, and let's just call it right now Niederreiter and Ehlers. And that's the line that we're looking at here. Well, I had this conversation with the boys on a legal curve. I take a look at Cole Perfetti going to that spot, and Ehlers is probably, no matter how you cut it, I mean, a lot of the analytics people will tell me there's capability for Ehlers to be better. A lot of people will say analytically Ehlers is the best forward on the team, but production-wise, and you said it, Ken, they're going to need production from the first and second lines. The numbers tell us that that. Kyle Connor is a step above Nikolai Ehlers. The, the numbers will also tell us that as a line mate, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a step above Nino Niederreiter. So what you've done is you've taken a line last year where Cole Perfetti got to be a peripheral player as you know PLD really drove the bus and Kyle Connor really drove the bus, and he got to kind of hide in the weeds and do what he did. That's not going to happen this year. He's with two players who are probably a little bit of a step down, and now he's being asked to carry that line 
Can he do it? To me, that's the biggest question on this team. And again, I take a look at the preseason and I don't see any obvious answers there. Is he going to be able to carry that line? That is the big question I want to take on it. Yeah, I mean, I would also say this. I mean, Cole shouldn't have been asked to carry his own line as a 20 and 21 year old player. So, I mean, that not a lot of guys coming into the NHL are unless you're, you know, a top three pick. And I mean, yes, Cole is still a top 10 pick, but he's still pretty early on in his development curve. So, I mean, your points are valid. I mean, of course, you should be able to play better when you have uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor riding shotgun with you. But I would also say that uh, Cole's word processor, which we've discussed at nauseum since he was drafted, is something that will allow him to play at a level that's advanced to his body. So what I've seen from Cole this year, I know he put in a lot of effort, changed trainers, worked out with Matty Nickel in Toronto. I see a faster player. Uh, is he a burner like Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor? No, and, and he probably never will be. But he had a full summer of training for the first time in a couple of years because of the injuries. And he's put in the effort in order to handle those responsibilities. Now, defensively, is he going to get out-muscled by some guys? Of course he is. He's an undersized forward. So that part of the game will be challenging. But he makes up for some of those challenges because of his ability to anticipate and be in the right spot defensively, whereas some people with more physical gifts didn't think quickly enough to get to that spot. So, I mean, Cole's going to have to show it over the course of the year. I do think that as he continues to advance, he can grow into a second-line center role, and I wouldn't put it past him to become a top-line center. But we're not going to anoint him the top-line center until he shows he can do the job on the second line where he should have some more favorable matchups. But he will be matched up against bigger, stronger guys, but it's never been an issue for him in terms of his ability to contribute because he's so smart, he's a gifted passer, and I've said this from the beginning. He reminds me of Mark Scheifele breaking into the NHL. Where yeah. He's a pass-first player, but yeah. he has a sneaky, quick release and a heavy shot. So I think if you provide some insulation for Cole Perfetti, not because you have to hide him, but because of the physical part of the game that he's continued to get bigger and stronger over the years, I think he can handle the job. I mean, does that mean he's a 50-point player or a 70-point player? I mean... That is up to Cole to show. But he showed last year he can be a contributor. 31 points in 50 games, I think it was last year. Uh, let's see if I'm right. 30 points in 51 games. So, yeah. But now it's up to him to stay healthy. I mean, it, and Cole said this on one of his first, first day of training camp. I need to play in 75 to 82 games. I mean, he knows this more than anybody. So, change his fitness regimen. I think he's ready to do that. If you're playing him with a Nino Niederreiter who is kind of a human battering ram who is basically a lock to score 20 every year and can probably go north of 30 if you're playing with somebody as gifted a passer as Cole Perfetti is. You got a little bit of muscle there and then you're either going to have the speed and exhilaration of Ehlers or you're going to have somebody like Aya Fallow who is so good defensively that if you need him to be the down low player at times if if Cole is in the offensive zone and Aya follows the third guy high, then you have some more insulation on that front. But, I mean, like you said, I, I personally think that he can handle the job. I'm not sure if he's going to be a 60-point player this year, but I certainly see his potential to become one very quickly. Now, a lot of that is contingent on health, but I think Cole Perfetti is in a situation where 
I mean, we saw what Matt Boldy did for the Minnesota Wild last year, and he was rewarded with a big contract. Now, we've been spending all this time talking about unrestricted free agents. I mean, Cole Perfetti is going to need a new deal at the end of this year. So he's also in a situation where if he has a big, big season, he might be one of those guys who's looking for the the Jets could be looking at as a long-term investment rather than going the bridge route, which so many other players at his age have gone. So to me, it's a huge year for Cole Perfetti to show he can do all of these things in order to further enhance his value. But you're right. I mean, he's going to have to show that, I mean, that he can be more of a line driver. But I think the the two years, even though they were shortened to injury, I think there was enough potential shown that he can grow into a, a play driver. And I think it's probably happening sooner than later. Oh, I agree with that 100%. I, I I think we've seen that the vision is there for Cole Perfetti, right? And that now the the ability to kind of uh, play off, you know, play with that body at the NHL level, figure out his new teammates. Like, I have no doubt that it's going to get there for Cole Perfetti. But I think the the point that you made that I agree with 100% is is the ask and, and how much of an ask it is for a player like that. And this is one thing that kind of put it for into perspective for me. You go back to Cole's draft year, and if you take a look up and down, there's a lot of players, you know, that's the Alex Lafreniere year, right? Quentin Byfield goes second overall. You saw Jake Sanderson last night for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, a lot of players up and down that Dawson Mercer is from that draft. Now Dawson Mercer is a 30 goal scorer, right? But Dawson Mercer also plays on the third line for the New Jersey devils, right? Like he's hidden just like I was talking about Cole kind of being, it's the second line. Yeah. But being somewhat hidden because defenders so have their hands full with Pierre Dubois, you know, physicality and Kyle Connor's amazing speed. There's a lot of open ice for a guy to play with there, right? Just like for Dawson Mercer, it's the same thing, you know, playing on the third line of that devil's team that is really, really talented, but go and take a look at that draft year and what the Winnipeg jets are asking from Cole Perfetti right now. They are asking more from Cole Perfetti than any other player in that draft, including the first and second overall pick, the only player right now who's being given more responsibility and more to do is Tim Stutzla from the Ottawa Senators, who really came into the league at 18 and kind of took off, right? But sometimes what you need to do is you need to go take a look at those players' peers and see what's being asked of those players to kind of get an idea of what's being asked of Cole Perfetti. I know a lot of people are just saying Cole Perfetti, he was a first round pick he he, it felt like he dropped in that draft the Winnipeg Jets were ecstatic to get him he went to the AHL and he did really really great but this doesn't change the fact and I put it like this last year he came up and played really really good as a young player but the mathematical equation that the Jets were giving him to solve was far easier as a winger on a line with Kyle Connor, Pierre-Luc Dubois, then the mathematical equation that he's being given this year as the second line center with two line mates that are not as good as the line mates as he was with last year. This is a hard, hard, hard problem they've given Cole Perfetti to solve. And to your point, are you going to get more out of the third and fourth line this year? The expectation is yes, but are you is, is that going to balance what you potentially lose 
in the top six scoring because a lot of that is going to be dependent on how Cole Perfetti does and how he pushes his line mates. The one thing that I would say is the trap door that the Jets can spring and and get him out of there and put someone else in. I say this again, Vladdy Nemesnikov, I don't expect him to be a fourth line player on this Winnipeg Jets team. At some time, point, he's either going to be on the third line or the second line. And what we saw last year was Nemesnikov was able to go in for large swaths of the time that he was here with the Winnipeg Jets, go in as that second line center and really make the team sing in the process when he did it. One of the players who loved playing with Vladdy Nemesnikov was Nick Ehlers, right? So I do think what you have is the potential to take and put Vladdy Nemesnikov in as your second-line center, Nikolai Ehlers on the wing, and then Cole Perfetti on one of the other wings, and then kind of hide him a little bit again. So that they, I think that option exists to give him a break at second-line center if he's having some problems with it, add in a player that already has built-in chemistry with Nikolai Ehlers, and then free up Cole Perfetti to continue doing what he's doing because, again, I do think... I'm not saying he's not going to pull it off, but if I had to bet one way or the other, I think it's good if, if you take Cole Perfetti right now, put him at second line center and leave him there for 82 games. I think it's going to be a tough slog for that player to make it through injury free and progressing as a player. Vladimir Nemesnikov is the pressure release valve that you can put in that line and can, it would also create the opportunity to move Niederreiter down and create that Niederreiter, Lowry, Iofalo line that I've been talking about. So I do think the Jets have options here. And I think that Kevin Sheveldayoff went out this offseason and made sure to get Nemesnikov to create that pressure release valve, I think it was a smart move, and it's one place that the Jets can go to alleviate this big question that I think has really a lot of the Jets' season riding on it. Yeah, and I would say, too, he didn't play Nemestikov on the wing on that line, but what I would also just sort of reinforce to our points here, on the home games, when the coach has last change, given the role that Adam Lowry plays in the shutdown role primarily at home, now you're only asking Cole Perfetti to win the matchup against the other team's third line. So yeah. when you have Ehlers and Cole Perfetti going against the other team's third line and second or third D pair, they could actually do more than just compete at that level. They might light those guys up, quite frankly. So I think that the ability to, you know, what we were talking about the depth issue, if the Lowry line can be productive offensively and play a shutdown role, now you're looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins model where the HBK line uh, was able to light up and feast on the opposition's third line. Same with Chicago uh, in those early years with Kane. So, uh, you know, it's definitely twofold and it's a question they have to answer. But I think Cole is up for the task as long as he's healthy. I think they're going to do a good job. But, I mean, Nikolai Ehlers is, for me, he could have and a breakout season. It sounds absurd. But as great as Ehlers has been and as great as his per 60 numbers are, he hasn't scored 30 goals, even though his skill set tells you he should score north of 40 if he can stay healthy. So that's a big question mark in terms of what he can do. And if he's playing at that level, when you have someone as smart as Cole playing with him, that's obviously going to impact his ability to produce a large number of points. Um, if if he can if they can both stay healthy but uh, you know for sure I mean we're going to see what happens but I would say that Cole is going to be able to take a big step forward this year at least that's what I see and now it's up to him to show it.
No doubt. Okay. Uh, lots that we could get into, but we're already one hour and seven minutes into the show. So let's just get down to it. I want you to give me your best prognostication of how you think this season is going to go, Ken. What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, the Jets are a bubble team. I mean, does that mean they're, you know, 14th to 22nd? I'm not 100% sure. What I do think is that in the Central Division, for me, it's very simple. You have the Colorado Avalanche and the Dallas Stars in the cream of the crop, the upper crust. And then you have the Jets, you have the Minnesota Wild. I'm going to give a slight edge to the Nashville Predators when it comes to the fifth slot because of UC Soros. And because of Ryan O'Reilly, the St. Louis Blues are a team that knows how to win, but they're going to need better goaltending this year. And Winnipegger Joel Hofer may help provide that goaltending. And if he does, then St. Louis has the ability to easily move past Nashville. But right now it's a question mark. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, the, the sexy pick is Arizona to be better. We'll see. I mean, they've got some nice young talent. I still think that they're a ways away from from really pushing to be a playoff team. But I'm excited to watch guys like Logan Cooley, no doubt. And then you have Chicago. We're, we're thrilled to watch Bedard, Sean, to see him yep. live. And you're going to see him in his first NHL game against Sidney Crosby, which is fantastic. But for me, Bedard is going to be a very impactful player on a very bad team. So I think for those folks thinking that Bedard is a shoe-in for 100 points, I would say ease up on the gas a little bit on that one. He might be a point of game player as a rookie because he's extremely talented, but let's let the kid play. Even if he scores 30 goals as a rookie, that's a great year. So in terms of the Jets, I see them as being either the third seed in the central or slightly edging out Seattle or a Calgary or a team around that periphery for the seventh or eighth wildcard spots. But a lot has to go well for that to happen. I would say when you ask me about if the Jets are deeper, one massive factor that we didn't get into. Yes, the defense core right now is mostly the same. Having Lauren Brassois as the backup to me is a massive, massive deal for the Winnipeg Jets. And I'm not here to dump on David Riddick, but that's a huge upgrade from David Riddick. David Riddick had a great start to the years. First five or six starts, seven or eight, even you want to go that far. But David Riddick led in a couple soft goals late in the year to the point his coaching staff did not trust him to play him more than one time in the last month of the season. That can't happen this year. Lauren Brassois, whether Connor Hellebuck is traded or not, Lauren Brassois will help the Winnipeg Jets. There's a lot at stake for Lauren Brassois. He's on a one-year deal. If he can show that he's healthy and the Jets can't sign Connor Hellebuck, Lauren Brassois might find that starting job he's always wanted in the team that gave him his first real shot in the NHL. So... I see Brassois' ability to play at least 25 games or north of that if there's a trade that happens as a big factor for the Winnipeg Jets in terms of where they end up. I am going to pick them as a playoff team. Could I easily see a situation where maybe things aren't as strong for them? Sure. I mean, they have questions. We've been talking about a lot of them. But I think the Jets are a playoff team this year. They're not a slam dunk to be one, but I expect them to be a playoff team. How about you? Um, just I want to get this hammered down because you had said there's potential for them to be the third team, and then you said likely edging the out for seventh Minnesota. or eighth, and you said you wouldn't be surprised if they dropped out as well. So just get off the fence. Sorry, Ken, tell sorry. Us where I you said think. they're a playoff team. <laughs> I said they're either third or fourth, and fourth could third, be you know third or fourth, third or fourth in the central. 
Okay. In the Central All right. Division. So they're either third, seventh, or eighth in the conference in terms okay. of points so, for me. So Sorry, third uh, in the Central doesn't mean third in the conference. Right. Yeah. So third you're the saying they're either they're either like the fifth, sixth seed or 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 the seventh, eighth is what you're saying. Essentially, they're going to be either the playing the second place team in the Central Pick a seed. or in the Pick wild a seed. card. Okay. There say, we go. I'm going I like to say it. third. Okay. okay. I'm going to say third in the, the Central. third seed in the Central. Third, okay. No, third in the Central, which in the West right. would be probably five right. or but six. But third in the Central, I'll, I'll take that. Okay. I like that one. Uh, the, now, just a, a reminder from last year. I had picked the Jets to finish as the third seed in the Central last year. It was looking like a pretty good pick it at the was. beginning. And of I the had year. them as a wild card team. As you had them as a I wild was card team. Silly for a while. Yes, in the end, Ken was right, and it took it took almost very close <laughs> to the largest collapse in NHL history. The, the largest, if they would have fallen out of the playoffs, it would have been the largest late season collapse in NHL history. It still was one of the largest late season collapses ever in the NHL for them to get into that spot. That's what it took uh, to get to that spot. But Ken was right last year. So Ken picked the seventh, eighth, and that's where it ended up. What's that, Ken? Sorry, this is a like golf. There are no pictures on the scorecard. At the end of the year, I was right. No pictures on the scorecard. Doesn't exactly. matter. It doesn't and matter how you saying. get to your score. I, I am reminding everybody of what we did last year. So last year, I ended up being more optimistic about the team. This year, I want you to pick whether they finish. So you're th- saying third in the central. Third that's, in the central, that's, slightly ahead of Minnesota. That's what Ken is picking in this situation here. Okay, I want to get into this. I think that there is just far too many question marks that are going unanswered right now. It's it's tricky for me to take a look at them. And, and here's the other part of that. The one thing, and people who watch the Kenny and Randy show will remember this analysis from last year. My explanation of what happened with the Jets out of the gate last year was that they just got to their game quicker than pretty much anyone else they played. I don't know if you remember me saying this, Ken, but what it felt like for the first couple of months of the season last year was that a team would come rolling in, and whether it was Dallas, who had a pretty good start, or whether it was Colorado or Minnesota, who had a really rough start to start the season, Calgary, go on. you can go up and down the list, even L.A. to a degree. It felt like teams would come in, and they were still kind of trying to find their identity, who they were, and they'd roll and they'd play the Winnipeg Jets, who knew exactly what they were supposed to be and were playing Bones system to a T. And you could tell because Bones very much laid out, this is what their identity is supposed to be. And that's what you saw on the ice night after night after night. So the Winnipeg Jets last year make the playoffs and don't fall out of the playoffs because they came out of training camp knowing exactly who they were, who they were supposed to be, how to play that system and to get into it. And they got to it, I think, earlier than almost any other team in the NHL. I don't think we can expect that this year. Based on what's happened in the preseason and where the Jets are sitting right now, I look and I see a team that really didn't have an identity in the preseason here. And now they've got today, and it was a good practice today, Ken. You were there. You saw them going. It was a good practice. But the Jets have a practice today and Saturday and Sunday and Monday. Or sorry, sorry, they're off for the next two days. So they've got a, a couple practices to turn around what they haven't been able to accomplish in the preseason. And I don't see that same start as the Winnipeg Jets had last year, because their team from what we've seen so far, and I know you said it to start the show, preseason doesn't mean a lot, but 
not being able to show that you get and have achieved your identity, I said, think says something as well. So I don't think the Jets are as positioned to have as hot a start as they had last year. And I think from trying to figure out if Perfetti is the guy on the second line, trying to figure out if I have found, excuse me, if Velarde fits on that top line, trying to figure out if Kupari's fourth line is going to be, you know, a defensive juggernaut or be able to chip in more offensively, trying to figure out if the defense is going to be more like what we saw at the beginning of last year or at the end of last year are all a lot of questions that make it really hard for me to look at this team and say they're going to have a really good start to the season. And I just take a look at this, and I think that there are a number of teams. So you went through it. I I think Colorado lands ahead of them. I think Dallas is going to have a really good year this year. I think Dallas is going to win the Central I think I've seen enough. The one thing we have to take away from Minnesota is Minnesota almost won the division last year, and they basically gave away the first 10 games of the season. I think the one thing that we've seen from the Minnesota Wild is they have an identity. They've had an identity for a while, and I've seen enough of them. I doubted them last year. I doubted them the year before. I've seen enough of them that I believe that the Minnesota Wild knew know who they are and how to play the game that they have to play. So I have them ahead of the Jets as well. I, I don't know if I have not. Like I, ha- I think I have them ahead of Nashville, but I take a look on the other side of things. I think Calgary has a lot more potential to bounce back with a new coach and players who were really kind of spoiled last year. I don't mean spoiled as in as in uh uh given too much i mean i think their games were spoiled by the kind of tug of war and power struggle that was happening between them and their coach they've cleared the air there they sound like they're happy i see an identity coming out of that team in the preseason so i think that the calgary flames have more of a reason to have a bounce back this year than the winnipeg jets had last year i take a look at the seattle kraken i think they are that team that probably you can expect to get maybe a little bit better every year. So I think they're tough to get ahead of. I think LA Kings are established and arrived. I think the Vegas Golden Knights, we know what they're capable of. And I think that you take a look at the team like the Edmonton Oilers. I'll give you a sneak preview of our picks this year. I've yep. got the Edmonton Oilers winning the cup this year. I've got them coming out and winning the cup. I've got them in a cup final against the New Jersey Devils. That's what I have. That's five teams out of the Pacific and three teams out of the uh, the Central Division that I think are going to finish ahead of the Winnipeg Jets. So the numbers for me don't add up to the Jets making the playoffs this year. There's too many question marks. I see them on the outside looking in and dipping out of the playoffs. That's what I've got. Now, I I I. I wanted to see some of these questions being answered. I think there's potential there, like you said, for the Winnipeg Jets to push. And hey, listen, every year we talk about this team's going to be great. This team's going to be great. Look what happened to the Colorado Avalanche last year. Look what happened to the Calgary Flames last year, who a lot of people thought would contend for first place in the conference. There's a lot of stuff to happen here. And I think the Winnipeg Jets baseline is a team that if any of those teams that I just mentioned drop off, I think the Jets are positioned to jump into that spot. And they're probably ahead of everybody else. So to me, they're right on the bubble, but I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble. And if the season plays out the way it's going to, and if the question marks remain unanswered for a certain part into the season or it takes some time for the Jets to answer the Profetti question, answer the Velarde question. I think the time that it takes to answer those questions will cost them. And I think the Jets find themselves outside of the playoff dance looking in. Yeah, I mean, for Calgary, I, I mean, a lot of those teams, and let us I will have to say this as well, I mean, I have New Jersey coming out of the East as well. I know everyone's, you know, fairly fired up about them. I, 
They've got some questions still, but they're a very good team. Uh, the Oilers, for me, are an excellent hockey team that still has a big question between the pipes. I mean, Stuart Skinner would have got a lot of experience from what he did down the stretch playing into the playoffs. Um, but he got outplayed when it mattered. So is he ready to, is he ready to put 16 wins in? He might be, but I, I need to see more before I'm ready to make that declaration. Uh, I know Jack Campbell's had a nice training camp as well, but um, I'm not ready to for to have Edmonton coming out of even the Pacific, given that they're going to have to go through LA and Vegas or some combination of that to get there. So Calgary's going to be bounce, counting on a bounce back from Jacob Markstrom and Jonathan Huberto. I mean, there's there are a lot of other things that need to go well, but those are the two biggest things for them. I love Minnesota's moves in the offseason. Uh, you and I have talked about Marcus Felino. He's the glue guy on that team. Obviously, Kirill Kaprizov is their star player, and they've got plenty of other guys. Signing Marcus Felino to a four-year deal, absolute important, critical move for Bill Guerin, for a team that plays hard, plays tough, wants to win playoff games. Uh, my issue with the Wild is that they're you know, fourth line. You have to fill it basically with league minimum players because of the 15 mil in uh, cap penalties to uh, Zach Prize and Ryan Suter. And I also need to see a little bit more in the goaltending side. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury, could he have a bounce back year? For sure. Uh, Philip Gustafson had a great year, but he's going to have to do it again. And if he does, you know, again, like I said, I could easily see the Jets being ahead of Winnipeg. But to me, I think Minnesota still has some question marks around their team uh, as well. When it comes to their defense core, it's looking a little bit different this year. Matt Dumba's not there. They're going to need big years from uh, guys like Jared Spurgeon and Jonas Brodin, yeah. and, they, and they may get them. But to me, yeah, they need Matt Boldy is probably the key there. They need front, him to take I mean, a step forward. Yeah, right. And I think that they need a you know they need Joel Erickson had a great year. They need some health from some of those other guys uh, that weren't in the lineup as often. I love that they signed Zuccarello as well. Absolute gamer. Um, yeah, Seattle. Seattle needs to show that it wasn't a one off. Seattle made the playoffs with four lines and hard work and a defense that played hard. And they yeah. made it with, with subpar goaltending last year. They may have upgraded in that. You know, Philip Grubauer played great in the playoffs. But for yeah. me, uh, a team with Connor Hellebuck and Lauren Bressois, none of those other teams we've been discussing has goaltending at that level if those right. players are locked in. So that's why I'm giving them the slight nod. But, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, and in the West, I still like Vegas. I mean, I understand um, yeah. it's hard to repeat. We saw Tampa do it recently. Vegas still has the deepest team. They have the deepest defense core. And I think that their goaltending will hold up just fine. I mean, Logan Thompson was an all-star before he got hurt. And Aiden Hill showed he could carry the, the mail uh, when he got the opportunity. But what we know, Sean, for sure, is that it's going to be a fascinating year ahead. We're going to have a lot to discuss. And we didn't. we spent almost an hour and a half talking. And we didn't talk about the futures of Mark Shifley and Connor Hellman. Well... Okay, so that that's what we did, and it's, we can't. We really don't have itself, time. Probably, it it is it another quicker. show in itself. But to me, to when I go back to the idea that I see that the Jets kind of teetering on the brink of that playoff right. line, and I talk about these questions that I mentioned before, that's the probably the biggest question. That well, I still think I still think whether or not Perfetti can last as the second line center is the biggest question. But I mean what's going to happen with those two players, right? Like that is the other thing that is hanging in the air. And I think we should just get this out of the way quickly and just talk quickly sure. about it. I, I talked with a couple uh, ex-players and people that I work with about that, those, you know, 
uh, uh, Mark Shifley and his comments about going into this last year and, and uh, Connor Hellebuck. And one of a former player said to me uh, when I asked him what he made of the words said by Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley is he'd said, that is exactly what I would say if I was gone the next year, like that they did not say the kind of, they did not come out and say, Steven Stamkos, you know, I'm upset that a deal isn't done and I'm kind of a, you know, why, why is this not done? They didn't come out and say that everything that they said could be construed as, Hey, you know, maybe it's a possibility that I'm in Winnipeg, but I'm not locking anything down and I'll give, I'll tell you something. I know people aren't going to want to say this, but the way that those guys handled that is the exact same way Pierre-Luc Dubois handled the same thing last year in an interview with me where he told me Winnipeg Jets should have high hope. It's a high hopes at the possibility that Pierre-Luc Dubois would be in Winnipeg long term we take a look at that afterwards and clearly that was not the case so i take a look at this and i wonder leslie mitchnick says if we trade heli to the oilers and i believe they will win the cup not saying i want that to happen is Brian that Michaud part of your is to. is that part of your prediction i want i need to know before we go any further on this well, it's is funny. That part I, of the I, Oilers winning? Is that part of the I, Oilers winning? I covered the Oilers last. Okay, I'm going to say the answer to that is most definitely no. I covered the Oilers last year. I think they have a lot of belief in Skinner, uh, and I think another year of Skinner, they're hoping really takes things forward. I mean, Skinner's got the pedigree to start heading in that direction. They really liked him, and the players have his back. So I don't think that the Oilers think that goaltending is as much of a problem as everyone here thinks it is. Um, but just to go, go and close this out. The, the whole Hellebuck and Shifley situation, the Jets, what we've seen from them in, in the past is when things are rolling, they can be very good. The problem that we've seen with the Jets ever since 2018 is that when problems hit, how they respond has not been very good. This hasn't been a resilient team. And this is a team that seems to, when things start to fall, they aren't able to stop it. And when they get in free fall, they're really not able to stop it. And I think that the whole situation with Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley and their unknown futures really has the potential to expedite that and make that a further problem. Because if people feel there's not an investment there by those players, either outside or inside the dressing room, I think it becomes that much harder, which is again, why I think this is a situation that, that really has the potential to derail the Jets season and make it harder for them to pull together and get over that playoff line. Last word to you, Ken Weed. Yeah, I mean, I would just say this. I mean, I think Mark Shifley is still open to an extension. So I don't think that it's going to be a distraction for him. I don't think that he's the kind of guy that's going to put it in cruise control and and wait for his next team to sign him to big dollars. He knows what's at stake for him, both in terms of legacy and his next contract. And in terms of Hellebuck, I mean, this is a guy who is self-driven all of the time. I mean, does he want to make? Does he want to know what he's making in his next deal? Yes, but his pursuit of the Stanley Cup, I think, comes first. And I don't think that, I mean, he is just wired that way that he can uh, compartmentalize this season as not being a problem. I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I would have preferred for him to say more. I mean, Sean, you were there beside me when I, I basically, I basically asked him if long-term, if a long-term deal was important to him. And he talked about rumors. It was his opportunity to yeah. give his opinion. Clear the air. Yeah. This is why there's rumors because you haven't weighed in. I mean, once you weigh in, then there's no rumors until something happens. I mean, uh, that. but I don't think that he cares about people talking about where he's going next, if he's going to be traded or not. All he cares about is getting ready for his next start and trying to win. So yeah. now, will they to, last the season? Now I don't know. Yeah. You think it's to, to, 
So Go the ahead. point of what you're saying about and and, and these conversations, um, like I, I find it's always you know because Connor Hellebuck came out and he said, oh, there's all these rumors, there's all those kind of things. I think it's a really easy question for a journalist and it's what i asked connor hellebuck when he came out and he said you know there's all these rumors and stuff like that and i get it they say that and fans jump on and they, they say yeah the media they're starting all these rumors this and that what i said to connor hellebuck after he said oh there's all these rumors i said well is there anything that you'd like to clear up yeah. right if 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 you're saying that there's these rumors and people are getting it wrong and there's all these things out there that are untruths Here's the platform. Here's the microphone. Speak into the microphone and tell us what they got wrong and what these rumors are that are wrong. And his response to that was, well, I don't really know what the rumors are out there. I haven't checked in enough. Well, then why are you using rumors as an excuse to kind of get away from this? I'll tell you this. Again, and I come back to Steve Stamkos' situation because Steve Stamkos left no black and white. Steve Stamkos wants to be a Tampa Bay Lightning. He's upset that they haven't re-signed him till now. He thought the process would have gone easier. And it's creating tension between him and the team that he loves and wants to stay with. That's black and white. Everything, everything that Connor Hellebuck said and Mark Shifley said was fully gray. And when given an opportunity to color in black or white, they refused to do so or shied away from it. So it's hard for me seeing the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, seeing in the past Evander Kane and how he used to talk about trade requests. When guys don't talk about it and say that, oh, there's these rumors and and refuse to clear it up. I think that speaks loud and clear in that situation. Anyways, Ken, one anything else you want to say before we go? Nope. Fired up for the season. Uh, looking oh. forward to spending lots of time together. Let's spit spit through the sponsors one more time, and we're good to go. Yeah. Well, before I do that, I, it, it was called for. I forgot to put it on. I'm I'm not in uh, mid season form yet, but it was called for. Before I oh. say <laughs> something about the sponsors, I just want to say we should make this a uh, Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Randy show. Let's do that right now and rock this joint. There we go. Hey, I was hoping people notice. I know someone said something about the flow, but people should know earlier on. Uh, I, I, I grew the hair out over the summer. I was trying to get it going because I wanted to get a little bit of pizzazz to go with the headband this year. Because when you've got a song like that that introduces it, you better bring it afterwards. So Rennie's at the very least trying to bring it. Before we do shut this down, I just wanted to give a shout out uh, for our sponsors who are back this year and some of our new ones. We're going to dig a little bit more into, like I said, Ken, we're not going to do it here, but we're going to announce we got a lot of goodies uh, to get to when it comes to uh, our Kenny and Rennie post-game shows. So I want to thank Cambrian Credit Union for being back on board. Wanted to welcome the keg. Got some surprises coming from them. Pristine roofing as well. There's a connection there that you're absolutely going to love, Kenny and Rennie fans. The Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs, who've been there since day one, and every time we call them, they are just wholeheartedly behind us. It means so much to us that they do that. And, of course, Vittorio Rossi, who keeps us looking good and will keep us looking good this year. 
We're so happy to have them on board. And I think we've got a couple more announcements to make when we do finally launch into things. Uh, thank you for them. And thank you to all of you. It feels so good to be back doing this. We are so excited and so looking forward to this season. So excited to get out and meet with you at our personal events and just kind of keep building on this. Uh, it's been such a ride for us to do this. And it only gets better and better. I have waited so long to get back. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Glad that you are back. Can't wait to talk to you after the first Kenny and Rennie postgame show when the uh, Calgary Flames, the Jets go to visit the Calgary Flames in Calgary next Wednesday. Before that, look out for Rennie because as Ken kind of mentioned earlier on, I'm going to be sent to do the broadcast for Connor Bedard's first game. It will be a Chicago game in Pittsburgh on the Tuesday before that. So you can check out Rennie on Tuesday and then check out Rennie and Ken Kenny and Rennie on Wednesday. Look at me. I just tried to rebrand the name of the show and put myself first, Ken. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound oh. like you. <laughs> Anyways, thanks everybody for being along for the ride. Thanks for our sponsors. You know the drill. Please, please support our sponsors because they fight every day to keep this going in this space. Thank you so much for that. Thank you to everybody. We will see you on Wednesday after the Jets' first game of the year. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union, Lou Ferlin, Trans Canada Brewing, Vittorio Rossi, and Johnston Group.